All right. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the Soul Life podcast. I am truly humbled and very honored to welcome Rabbi Dr. Yaakov Nagen to be speaking with us today about living with peace and trying to really break down what that means. It is an immense privilege to have uh, Rabbi Nagen here with this time. Rabbi Dr. Yaakov Nagen is a renowned Israeli rabbi and a senior educator at Yeshivat Otniel, where he teaches Talmud and Kabbalah. He is a leader in interfaith peace initiatives between Judaism and Islam and in encounters between Judaism and Eastern religions. Rav Nagen was profiled in Tablet Magazine as one of the 10 Israeli rabbis you should know, and hopefully today we'll get to know him. And he's currently the director of the Blickel Institute for Interfaith Dialogue and the Beit Midrash for Judaism and Humanity. So I really think that bio speaks to, barely even captures, uh, the immense wisdom that Reverend again has and that he shares and disseminates with the world. And I'm very excited to bring him on here today to speak about with us, but what it means to live with peace. And I think the topic itself, just to a preface for everyone, is so important because we so often speak about, we want world peace, we want to find peace with ourselves. I wish this conflict could find peace. Why can't they make peace? But we don't really spend the serious time looking at the deeper wisdom in the Jewish tradition to truly see it in other traditions as well, to see what it means on a global, global and personal level. And I think from Reverend Again's bio, we get a, a glimpse on how immensely qualified he is to speak about this. So with that said, I'll just pass the mic off to Reverend Again. Okay, um, thank you, Cerule. Um, and use the word peace a lot. And um, I like to delve into the Hebrew word, which is um, shalom which is often translated as peace, but there is a depth and complexity to shalom that I like to try to share. I think, in fact, we'll see later, I think part of the problems in the Middle East is that, are we looking for peace or are we looking for shalom? Um, I think one way to capture the part of the essence of shalom is by comparing and contrasting it to the syllable that in, the, in Eastern spirituality, reflects the ultimate unity, which is the Om. The Om is a syllable um, reflective of the Brahman, of the infinite expanse, and is used at the often classes in yoga end with the Om. Now, even at the first glance, we see how Shalom and Om have a lot in common. It's spelled in Hebrew, we, in English, we, Shalom ends with the Om. It has that syllable, the very harmonious syllable, and in fact, in Jewish and Hindu traditions, they're used in very similar ways. Uh, many Jewish texts end with the shalom, with, whether it is the tefillat ha-amidah, the, in the um, center of prayer, whether it is the kaddish said for the dead, um, where it's the same way in many Hindu ceremonies also end with the om. Uh, uh, um, om and shalom are both names of the divine. Interestingly, in Judaism, not only is Shalom a name of God, but the Zohar um, lists Om as one of the 72 names of God. Um, so they have a lot in common. But what's fascinating, I think, is in what way are they different? Obviously, Shalom is a little bit longer than Om. And there's a teaching of the Zohar, which I think really gets to the heart of Jewish spirituality, um, which says that Shalom is the encompassing, the integration, the unity between fire and water. In Hebrew, the word for fire is esh, which is, has the shin, the first letter of the word shalom. 
the word for water is mayim, mem, which is the last word letter of shalom. So shalom is saying we want to integrate fire and water together. And apropos to the om, the om is very much associated um, with water. It's in Hermann Hesse's Siddhartha. It's by listening to the water, you will hear the sound of the om. So fire, so shalom, it's about connections, about integrating things that are different from one another. It's taking the fire and water together. And I feel this is very symbolic about the relations between Eastern and Western spirituality. If Eastern spirituality could be seen as water, Western civilization would be fire. And when we talk about inner peace, um, which I know it's one of the questions you want us to discuss, inner peace is, is I think very much connected to what's called being. When we talk about being, we're talking about the inner world of the person. It's, it's usually focused on the present, to be present within the present moment, to be rooted in the place that you are. You're not trying to change reality. You're not thinking about the next moment or the last moment. You are present in the here and now. And this is the place of being, which gives us that inner peace. And this is very reflective of Eastern spirituality. And I think water would be a good image of that. Water doesn't change water accepts the form um, that is put into. But fire would be the, the contrast. Fire would be about the doing, not about changing the world, um, thinking about the future and not about the... And the challenge of shalom, maybe one of the reasons why Judaism is sometimes more complicated than Eastern spirituality. Sometimes people ask me, why is it so complicated? Is because there are these two... This, there is this balance between the being, which would be connected to what you call the inner peace, and the doing, about accepting reality and changing reality. And seeing that the whole, shalom, is also connected to the Hebrew word shalem, which means whole. Seeing that the whole, the totality of existence, needs both the being, the inner peace, and also the doing. So that's what I think shalom is about. And that's one of the messages in Judaism. Judaism is a lot about fixing the world, changing the world, tikkun olam, um, justice, but it's also about being. So I think this is part of the complexities that things that are focused on one dimension, it makes it much easier to do the two. Sometimes they could even annul each other, and but but I think this is a long and difficult path to get that integration. Yeah, definitely. That's, it's, so it's interesting. It's, it's almost as if the human being name is in itself incomplete. It's human being, but also there's an aspect of human becoming where you have to find that stillness of water where it just is. And I love that visualization of the water always just takes its form and it goes with the flow, so to speak, whereas the fire is really there to conquer, to grow, to change, to, to, to ravage in a way. And it's very interesting to think about those two dimensions of, of humans. Right. Well, if you mention about the water, one thing, one thing I'll add, in Judaism, there's a concept of mikvah, about a person who has what's called tumah, some sort of um, religious impurity. The way that you return to your tara, your purity, is by entering a mikvah. Now, a mikvah is, is water. 
Um, and you must be, it has to be natural water. It can't come from a person bringing the water. That's the water which got there on its own, um, a river, an ocean, or water which came naturally as rain to fill up some sort of container. And to, and you must, you lose your form. You must enter the mikvah. And even if one of your hairs is floating on the top, you, you have not achieved the purity. It's entering the water, losing your form, and becoming one with the water and losing your form, you're able to be reborn. Um, so, so there is a, this power of water, but water, it's not, it's about, it's not about creating something new. It's, it's returning to that state, uh, that formless state. And so then I guess here when we're speaking about shalom, it's not as if pieces we normally say without a real definition, but it's this integration whereby the fire and the water can coexist in almost in a symbiotic relationship where they both need one each other and can appreciate the difference so they don't get enmeshed mm -hmm. and, and lose their identities. Right, so in fact, the Talmud says that if someone has a dream at night and in the dream he sees a kettle with uh, a boiling water, this is a sign of shalom, of peace, because there is fire, there wow. is the, but they are, but they have that kettle between them, which ensures that they don't lose the boundaries. So it's integrating, but without annulling the boundaries of the other. You have to give a place for each of it. In fact, the, the original context of the Zohar and Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who quotes this passage, also uses this is talking about male-female relations. In Jewish mysticism, something which can be surprising to many, water is a male symbol, whereas fire is the female symbol. We're used to thinking that you have these knights in shining armor and you have these wimpy women doing nothing. But we know that Jewish power is about Jewish women. You look at the story of Moses and see how he's surrounded by these very powerful, courageous women. So Jewish, so symbol of femininity, of womanhood in Kabbalah is fire. In masculinity is water. And shalom, the ultimate shalom is that between man and woman. And that would be the, the man representing the water, the woman, the fire. In fact, I have a humorous incident. That was, I was once in Shanghai um, giving a lecture about shalom and the Chinese were shocked to hear that in Judaism, the men are water, the women are fire. So a Chinese man raises his hand and says, in China, we the men, we're the fire, our women are water. So he says, very dangerous having Chinese man marry Jewish woman. <laughs> so this was my contribution to cut down the rate of, of intermarriage. <laughs> that's amazing. That's really funny. But that's actually, it's a, it's such, I love, wow, I, that's a phenomenal way to think about it, that the, even with the kettle and the fire and the water together, and then to even think about the personalities or the archetypal personalities of, of male and female as the fire and water, and then how the two find this coexistence, they find that shalom. That's really mm -hmm. incredible. So I guess taking it, so that now that we have this idea of shalom, how would you say this fits in when we're talking about peoples and nations? Uh, it's very interesting, like I'm, I'm studying international affairs at Yeshiva University, and we always speak so much about how there's, a, there's this essay we were reading about a clash of cultures or civilizations and how a lot of times through a, a particular lens of international relations, you can see that the root of problems is because 
people are too different. They aren't they aren't in this melting pot, so to speak, as the cliche goes in in Manhattan or in America. Right. So what well, this would lead to, uh, as opposed, which in my interfaith work, a lot of her work is finding ways using religion as a force for peace, which is finding a way that we don't try to erase each other's identity, whether religious or ethnic identity, but find a way that to create a broader story that has a place for both of them. I mean, I grew up on the west side of Manhattan, not far- I did as well. Oh, okay, what street? On uh, West 70, 74th Street. So we're, uh, okay, so I'm 94th in Columbus and you live even uh, closer to where John Lennon lived and died. And we know his famous song, Imagine, talks about achieving peace through erasing our identities. Mm -hmm. um, but Shalom would say, we're not going to erase, we're going to try to have the fullness of the water, the fullness of the fire, and see how to integrate them. So that leads to a very different path. It would be even, and also would be interfaith. Interfaith would not be about finding some very um, watered down generic identity, but seeing the deep authenticity of different traditions, but seeing somehow how could they be integrated. I work a lot in the Jewish Muslim relations and to see how the Jewish story and the Muslim story, how each of them have a place and each story become more powerful by affirming and giving a place to the other story. Whether in Islam, which I have a friend who's a professor in Al-Medina in Saudi Arabia, and he has a book pointing out that since Islam builds on the Jewish story, undercutting, um, for example, I mentioned that Moshe is mentioned in the Quran more than 150 times, oh. Muhammad is mentioned only four times. But undercutting the Jewish story is undercutting Islam because part of their story is a continuation. To affirm the Jewish story gives a greater authenticity to the Islamic story. Where on the Jewish end, part of the role of the Jewish people in the world is awakening humanity to calling in the name of God and to see Abrahamic religions stemming from Judaism to see this not as, as a competition, but as a fulfillment of destiny, this is an example how we could legitimize the other and not undercutting our identities, but to get it um, by, by this legitimization, we accept the others as they are, but we create that connection and integration. I think one powerful sign of this was this year, we had the Abrahamic Accords. The previous, I think this is the first Shalom. Before this, it was peace. Because with Egypt and Jordan, that was peace. It wasn't shalom. It wasn't about connection. It was about giving, I was giving up, giving, giving back different lands and creating some um, nonviolence, which is very important. But ultimately, there was no spiritual death to those connections. For example, and by no accident, um, the, the different peace agreements we, we get renamed after places outside of the Holy Land, whether it's Oslo, Camp David, um, before that there were the Madrid ag agreements. But now for the first time, there is a name which is authentically connected to the land, um, to the people involved with the Abrahamic Accord is saying, we have something that brings us together. The figure of Abraham, Ibrahim, Abraham, as a source of our different traditions, this is the point of contact 
between Judaism and Islam, between Jews and Arabs, and that's why this agreement could be shalom and not merely peace. I'm I'm tearing up as you're saying this because I was just I was just seeing uh, reading like in in uh, in Genesis where God says to Mo, to to Avraham that you're gonna be that you will be a blessing, and to think that like you know he is this the blessing of peace the Abrahamic religions like very literally mm-hmm. he is now and also I think it even opens the door where it's not as if like I think with Jordan and Egypt as you were speaking it was there it was their deal that was their thing now it's who's gonna who else will join us it's an it's an open invitation. And it really, it's like the, I'm imagining a, a concentric circles where you have one in the middle and it just keeps going out and out. Let's keep expanding and just seeing who else we can include. Right, yeah. If you said, um, I'll mention, I was once giving a meeting um, school children in the Arab village of Rama. And I asked the children, why is it that anything that happens in Israel, even though we're such a tiny country, we're such a small conflict in terms of the bloodshed, we're so much less than so many other conflicts. Why is it that the eyes of the world are always here? And the children said it's because everything started here. Meaning if, you, if I would continue that thought, would say that it, just as things started here, maybe things also will end. Things that, things that happen here could impact on those concentric circles that you mentioned. So, when we're, so when we're looking at, let's say the like peoples or nations or, or faiths or any, in any of these different spheres, what is the step that the leaders or the people even need to be taking to do this, meaning to start finding that integration where they can say, I'm a Jew, you're a Christian, you're a Muslim, you're a Buddhist, you're a Hindu, you're a Hindu whatever it may be. How do they then maneuver that, their relationship? How do they find, okay, so let's go be the, the flame, I'll be the kettle, and I'm, or I'll be the water, and we'll find the kettle. Where do they, how should they begin to try and materialize that? So I think there are two parts to it. The, um, this year, I've been working a lot in, in, the, in the context of Ortor Stone. I started a new institution, two new institutions, one the Blickley um, Institute for Interfaith Dialogue and the Beit Midras for Judaism and Humanity. And I think, um, as Einstein said, you need 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. The 1% inspiration is we have to with new eyes develop a theology mm-hmm. uh, that, and also analyze the different um, traditions to see what are those aspects that we feel that we could connect to. We're not having an open check for everything. I mean, Judaism believes in there's, there's right and wrong, good and evil. Um, so we're not saying that every, um, that connection means to connect to everything. But I think we're, say, we're saying that to find what are those aspects in other cultures, nations, religions, what are those aspects that we could find a place of connection? So we need that 1% of, of looking of, of to try to find those elements. Um, I relatively have it easy because I work a lot with Islam and Islam is, is a, um, has been often respected as a very a pure monotheistic religion. Um, and I think there are also tremendous um, inroads being made in, in previous generations of Jewish-Christian relations, but every, I think every tradition is not one size fits all. It's every 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 situation to find out what are what are the things that I be authentic to my identity and values and beliefs, and still find what is it in the other that I could connect to. Mm-hmm. Now, but the ninety nine percent perspiration 
you need the person-to-person -person connection. Um, so we work a lot with educational initiatives and because often even if people have the right ideas in their head, if it's only the person-to-person -person encounter that, that moves it from the head into the heart. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like a prerequisite to even get to that stage is that we as whether on an individual or as a communal or as a faith or nation or people, we need to step into our identity first, because that's almost as if, how can I try and find the integration between us or find where we relate if I, I won't even accept that I'm fire and I won't act as fire acts, because then how can I help you as the, as the water? Well, so that's an extraordinarily important point. And, and because often people sometimes ask, there's so many problems that the Jews find their own identity, Will we maybe it'll just confuse people if we start uh, or let, lead to lack of focus if we start talking about connecting to other people? Let's, but I think part of the answer is exactly what you pointed out. To say globalization is a fact and a reality. The question is, what is my point of contact with the world? Most people feel to be part of the global society of humanity, it's about giving up um, your, your particular identity. So here we're saying a different path. We're saying that it's by getting deeper into your identity mm. that you up to the other. So I think ultimately this, this strengthens our religious identity and also our Jewish identity. If our encounter is, is not the lowest common denominator, but from your deepest essence connecting to the other's deepest essence. I'm reminded now of, uh, of Menachem Froman had a, a line uh, where he says, I'm not right wing or left wing. I need two wings to fly. And another one that he says, if religion is part of the problem, religion must be part of the solution. And I think that it's a, it's a great point because I think even in a lot of the general mindsets that people go to, it gravitates towards is they want a black and white where, okay, fine. So religion has been the issue. So we, we want to get rid of the issue, but, but they fail to mm -hmm. see that it's not that that itself is the issue. The issue is it's not expressed in the correct way. It's not mm -hmm. being expressed in a way that's harmonious. It's not the right and left. It's, you know, left is good, right is good. But then mm -hmm. if you only have one wing, where can you go? They'll just keep going in circles. Right, well, a beautiful analogy, the um, um, allegory. The, and Rabbi Nachman often at meetings asks everyone to have a ritual of clapping the hands. because saying, we, we all have a left side. We all have a right side. So let's see, let's bring them together. And when they come together, we make, we make sounds and music. Something new is created. So it's that, so that acknowledgement that in all of us, there's a left and a right side. And to create something, you need both of them. It's like to create life if, again, in Jewish mysticism, women represent the left and men the right, um, but you need, you need both to bring new life into the world. Wow, that's beautiful. And it's amazing that I really think that this model <clears throat> sounds much more hopeful and in many ways, while idealistic, it sounds much more realistic, I think, then most people, most people will imagine, we'll get rid of religions, we'll get rid of differences, and everyone will just have a kumbaya, you know, as John Lennon, as you said, imagine all the people living life in peace, you know, we don't want peace, we want shalom. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, it's, and it's really beautiful. And I, and I think that what's really fascinating is that, I guess, to bring it a little bit more personal now, is that was, we can think about shalom, as you, were, as you were saying, with finding the water and finding the fire, and then seeing how they can coexist and have a real relationship, tea kettle just keeps popping in my mind. It's such a, um, such a fantastic an analogy. Wow, the, the sage is really- at the end, end of brachot. 
Wow, the stages really knew what they were doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so I'm curious how you would then say, like, would you say that shalom needs to only be a global phenomenon or one on a very macro level? Or can it also apply personally as an individual, let's say myself, really in my own life, you know, with the things I feel are conflicts, maybe conflict of identity, conflict of personality, conflict in my relationships? Well, one thing, like one thing to keep in, in mind, it, first of all, the answer, of course, is yes. And to strengthen that insight, sometimes people say the fact that you need Arab sheiks, do you think this is going to solve the problems of the Middle East and bring peace? So what I always answer is if two people have a create a special connection between them, this already is shalom. This isn't just a means to an end. Wow comes out of it. This is the thing in itself. This is fulfillment. We like to multiply that by a million. But but even if but 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 whatever it is, realize we've already fulfilled something. And this is important because sometimes people despair because there's so many problems in the world. And if you think it's only a means to an end and the end is so far off, you're going to give off. You have to see that every step is a fulfillment in itself and this is the connection between doing and being because doing is often a means to achieve a particular end being is a fulfillment of that is finding the fulfillment in the here and now mm -hmm. wow that's that's it's beautiful i really love that that's so it's really it's so deeply inspiring i think it's so true and what I find amazing is, especially aside from all of your work and all of your clear breadth of knowledge on this topic, I feel like you are a perfect embodiment of this idea of shalom, because I think for some people, they either naturally, let's say, are only in one circle or only in the other. And if they're juggling both, then they kind of have one foot in each camp and they're wearing two different caps. But I really feel like your whole work and a lot of your mission as a soul and as someone of Yisrael, it, it's so beautifully just comes in connection with your work with other faiths and other peoples, and then also all of your work within the Jewish community, within Otniel, within the, the, the greater world overall, and the two integrated, and Kettle Analogy, again, has that fantastic balance. Okay, thank you. Um, so so when we think about this, this inner piece, where would that, what do you say that starts? I think that between peoples, we can understand where that starts with conversations, with identifying our, our, our identities and then seeing where the two can coalesce. But for ourselves, when I'm dealing with my own individual work, where would I start with that process of trying to find the shalom internally and in, in, in a personal life? Not even if I was looking, let's say, to, to, to bridge gaps between other peoples or on a, on a larger level. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, in, in time-wise, one of the beautiful structures of time in Judaism is between six days of doing, um, six, um, in the Ten Commandments, so it's six days do all your work, and one day of being. Shabbat is the day of being. Shabbat is the day that you, you don't do any work, you, which is any creative work. You, you accept reality as it is. You're not allowed to leave um, too far from the place that you begin the Shabbat. You have to be rooted in the place that you that you are, and you're not you're not supposed to even talk. You're not allowed to even talk about plans for the week, and a sign of the pious is not even thinking about it. So Shabbat is a place of finding your inner peace. It's like taking a hmm. twenty-hour workshop in vipassana, 
every every single week. Um, so so starting with that, we have that basic balance between the doing and the being. Of course, there are many other ways, but I think it's always finding finding that balance in every in every situation between the different components. Mm. That's what makes it more complicated. But I think you get to more richer reality by by doing that. That's yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and let's say very practical. Let's say you have someone where even an interest, let's say, can 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 collide. Where I'm very focused, let's say, on my well-being, on my happiness, on my particular goal, and I find friends, family, a partner, whatever it may be, they can seem to interfere. And I feel like that is where sometimes conflict can breed, or it can even be, I think that's a good practical example for us to maybe discuss a little bit about, let's say in a situation like that, I'm really focused on performing excellently in my semester of school or in my career. And I feel like someone else is asking too much of me. They're, they're bothering me. They are mm -hmm. interfering with, with the path that I've laid out for myself. Is that an area, I guess, of conflict where you mm -hmm. think there is a healthy resolution of shalom? Well, first of all, conflict often is a, is a place of growth. Mm -hmm. um, but he could feel that he's overcome his ego by meditating the entire day. For me, um, But if the, if the first time he leaves his ashram, um, somebody says something and he gets upset and loses it, it means he hasn't really grown. So part of part of growth is seeing, is seeing that these conflicts are so a sign of growth. They break a cup at every Jewish wedding and people always, when they break the cup, they yell mazalto because crises are sources of growth. The fact, um, the fact that someone's interfering, the question is you still have a choice of how to respond to that. And part of the response could be the source of your growth. Can, even with the noise in the background, you manage to be able to concentrate? Can you create the balance? Can you overcome the anger and your ego about these things? So I think often, um, often there are ways to see that these are part of the growing process. Mm -hmm. One example, maybe of a difference between an Eastern and Western approach. In relation, in couple relationships, it's well known that when there's a conflict, usually 10% is in the present and 90% is in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and the present is simply a trigger for things in the past. Now, one approach would, one approach, you know, Eckhart Tolle, the author of The Power of Now, in tapes, it says, okay, if you realize this reality, so, um, so realize, okay, only 90% in the past, live the now and forget about it and go on. Now, um, there's truth to this, but often people don't succeed in freeing themselves from the past, even if they've decided to be present in the present. And, but also something, a, a possibility is lost. I, I had a teacher in a couple of relationships, um, Heidi Schleifer, and she would say the 10% of the present, this is a trigger to heal the 90% of the past. The conflict of the present is not only a problem interfering with your life, this is a way to perhaps heal all these issues and problems in the past. So sometimes the interruptions and the conflicts this is the path to get to true healing and, and wholeness. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's it's it's very interesting. I um, like I think even like when we look at ethics of the fathers, you see that the peace is such a central or shalom is such a central idea. We say, be like Hillel says, be like the disciples of of Aaron of Aaron, and and you know chase after peace and, and love everyone. 
And it, it, again, I think it, it, it's that language that sounds very naive, like it's not so easy to just you know, make peace and to love everyone and chase after it. But it, I think with this model of shalom, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's really just having everything find its place, it's like those little games when you're a kid, and you're trying to put the circle in the square, but it's like, it's not working. So I guess that's the conflict. So just move it over, put it in the circle spot, put the square in the square spot. Um, it, it's, wow, that's really, really incredible. Wow. Okay. So pleasure talking to you, Shirley. Yes. Thank you so much, Reb again. And just before we, before we end off very, uh, very quickly, if you have any one piece of advice that if you could share to let's assume the entire world, listen to this podcast episode, what, what would be that, that one line of, uh, of, of Chazak? Okay. Well, one mantra that I found to be very helpful in many ways was actually a conference in Amman, Jordan with representatives of every country from the Middle East to talk about um, dealing with violence in the Middle East. And in three words, they really put it all together. Connection before correction. Mm. Wow. Okay. Now, Seven billion people will, fix, will now be able to solve, connect, <laughs> solve old and correct all their problems. That's amazing. I love that. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Ravna, again. Yeah. Um, I just paused. Oops, sorry, one moment. Let me just pause the...